This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. And welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today I'll be talking to Leslie Vetter about her debut young adult novel, The Bone Spindle, a gender swapped retelling of the classic Sleeping Beauty. This story follows treasure hunters, Fee and Shane, on the ultimate fantasy quest to awaken the prince from his cursed sleep. The story has so many twists and turns and is a great read to just curl up with this winter season. And I can't wait to hear all about how she created it. So let's get started. Hey, Leslie. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Oh, hi, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So to get started, could you give our listeners just a brief introduction to you and to your book? So my name is Leslie Fetter. I am a cat lover and a YA author, and this is my debut fantasy, The Bone Spindle. And The Bone Spindle is, like she was saying, a gender flip. Sleeping Beauty meets Indiana Jones. And the heart and soul of it for me is these girl characters. So there's Fee, who is a bookish, no-nonsense historian, and Shane, who is a queer, kick-ass warrior. And the two of them reluctantly team up for one job and then get in way over their heads when Fee accidentally pricks her finger on the bone spindle and they awaken the spirit of the sleeping prince, Briar Rose. That was incredible. That was so succinct. Yeah, and that's perfect description. As someone who's been reading a lot of YA lately, I've definitely noticed that gender-swapped retellings are having quite a moment right now. We've had quite a few of them. So I was curious what inspired you to take this approach and why you picked specifically Sleeping Beauty to retell. You know, I've always loved fairy tales and especially fairy tale retellings because I feel like they capture like all the best parts of a good fan fiction. You know, there was this original work and you loved something about it, whether it was like the story, a plot, a character, but maybe you just wanted it to go on and never stop or you wanted to see another character or like the villain centered. And I feel like retellings are so popular because they really tap into that nostalgic feeling we have for fairy tales while bringing something totally new to the table. And so especially when you gender swap something, you know, a lot of those original fairy tales do not have the best roles for women and girls. There's a lot of damseling, a lot of waiting around. So you immediately get this brand new dynamic that you're bringing to this old story. And so you get to take a fairy tale and crack it open and make all this new space for new characters and new stories inside of it. The second part of that is for why Sleeping Beauty for me is that's actually always been one of my favorites. But rather than I think the characters of the story, there's something about the vibes of Sleeping Beauty that I have loved every version of. Like, you can see these images, the spindle, the red roses, the black thorns, the drop of blood, like the tragic figures sleeping for 100 years covered in cobwebs. And so whether it was like that old Disney movie or like we had illustrated fairy tale book that had like the most magnificent pictures or that Maleficent movie that was all vibes for me, I feel like Sleeping Beauty is the vibe fairy tale for me. I love that because I have that too kind of where like I love Sleeping Beauty and I've never quite been sure why because it's not a great representation for women. Like there are some massive problems there. 
I think I love that movie from my childhood. And so, yeah, getting to see the switch and getting to crack it open and see what else could be in there was so much fun for me. So I'm glad that was fun for you, too, as you were writing it. Definitely, me too. I'm like, spoilers, there's no dragons in mine, but I really loved the dragon in that old movie. Like, I think, you know, as a kid, you're like, this one's got all the epic fantasiness to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't have dragons, but you've got some good stuff in there. And my next question, actually, I was going to say that it's a little too simple to call this just a Sleeping Beauty retelling, because you have so much more. You've created this really elaborate and vast new fantasy world. It's got its own lore. It's got witches. It's got treasure hunters. It's got witch hunters that have their own backstory. I would love to just know a little bit more about your world building process. Oh, yeah. Okay. I had a ton of fun with those treasure hunters. That was definitely the other major inspiration for this book is I also grew up on like Indiana Jones and the mummy and all of these big action adventure movies that were chock full of action and treasure hunting. And so, you know, when I was thinking about treasure hunters, that seemed to fit so well with Sleeping Beauty, because I was like, if there'd been a prince sleeping for 100 years, he would practically be a relic himself at this point. So that seemed like the perfect match. And then once I knew I wanted treasure hunters, I knew I wanted them to have this rich history to explore, because, you know, it's the traps, the ruins, they're only going to be as cool as the history that goes with them. So I, I got to world build kind of two worlds at the same time, the world of now for the characters and that world of like centuries ago that when all of these times were flourishing, when all of these places before they became ruins and when people were creating spells and hiding all these relics. And so one thing I definitely tapped into is when I was little, my dad actually read aloud to me and my sister, the Lord of the Rings books. And so like those are were very formative for me. And one of the things I always remember thinking was so cool is they went through all these amazing places and they they would tell us like just a little bit about the history of them and a lot of them were like not up to their former glory they were sometimes ruins but there were these amazing little pockets of history all over the place in those books and I thought to myself man I want to be able to have a chance to like excavate some of those pockets of history with a character who is a historian and who would be so fascinated by everything old and ancient. I love that because your book definitely has that vibe too where every time Fee's telling us just a little bit about wherever they are, I'm like, no, no, keep going. I want to know more about the history of this place. Gives it that feel of just being big. You feel like it's a full world, not just like this little place that these characters inhabit. And so we've been talking about them a bunch, but I mean, every good quest story, every good adventure story, you need the team of heroes. And in this case, you've put together this kick-ass team of Shane and Fee this dynamic duo. I want to talk about both of them, but I wanted to start with Fee. Because at the beginning of the story, like you said, she is sort of the historian of the group, but she's also kind of dealing with this really unfortunate situation that she's found herself in. And then when she pricks her finger on the bone spindle, fate or destiny kind of deals her another rough hand. But throughout the story, she loses her agency a little bit, and then we get to see her take it back and have these moments where she really does face down the demons that have been plaguing her Without giving away too many spoilers, of course, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit how you charted the course for Fee's journey. So one of the big elements I really love in fantasy books is the idea of destiny and curses, that maybe there's like one person who's meant to do something. There's maybe only one person who can. And I think for me, that runs immediately into the idea of, well, do you have free will then? Can you ever do something by choice if you're destined to do it? I wanted, especially with Fee, sort of excavate with her the idea of if you had this great big destiny that wouldn't automatically make you a hero that wouldn't automatically make you the person who could fulfill that destiny at some level whether you're cursed whether you're destined for something you're still going to have to make the personal choice of who you want to be 
And so in the Bone Spindle, Fee especially, but all of the characters confront destiny in one way or the other. And sometimes they embrace it and they choose to embrace it and make it their own. And sometimes they reject it and choose to go their own way. But I think for me, there's this idea that neither a curse nor a destiny could ever make you who you were supposed to be. You would still have to decide that for yourself. And so on a very personal level, yeah, no spoilers, but Fee definitely has been burned before. Burned in love, burned in partnership. And so part of her character is that she doesn't really trust anybody. And that includes herself. She doesn't even really trust herself anymore. And so a lot of her personal struggle in this book is deciding that, like, trusting people is actually worth it again. Yeah, I think stories about fate and destiny, especially in fantasy stories, they can lose that element at moments. Like, they're not making good choices. The world is just either working in their favor or working against their favor, and they're not really doing anything about it. And that can make it hard to root for them no matter what the situation is. But Fee really does struggle with the choices that she has to make within the situation that she's found herself. It made her so much more of a human character watching her go through those struggles, I thought. I really enjoy that about your book. Everyone's working within their own, what am I destined to do, slash, what am I supposed to do, slash, what could I do if I wanted to? Where do these lines get drawn, and who are we to make those decisions? And of course, the second half of this partnership is Shane, who is this warrior. She's got this mysterious past, but is now a mercenary for hire and a treasure hunter. Sort of on the outside, she's definitely that character with the confidence and the bravado that makes it sound like she can't be touched or hurt, has it all together. But as we learn more about her past, we learn that she has things that she's running from, too. And she has a destiny that she's struggling with and what walking away from destiny might look like. So I was very curious about where the inspiration for Shane's character came from, because I think she's this really nice blend of warrior and compassionate friend and partner to Fee, and that can be like a tricky thing to navigate. So I was wondering how you pulled that one off. Absolutely. So first I have to start by saying Shane is probably my favorite character and was my favorite character to write. I'm probably not supposed to have a favorite between my children, but I do, and it's definitely Shane. Shane does have a past, and she's come through a lot. And so one of the most important things about Shane's character for me was just that she's very brave with her emotions. She absolutely follows her heart, and she's learned to really trust herself, kind of the opposite of Fee here. And so part of that definitely makes her this brash, bold, wild character. And sometimes following her emotion is definitely punching somebody in the face who definitely deserved it, but like that hot running temper. But I think it's that same willingness to just go all in and follow her heart that allows her to reach out a hand and never give up on somebody and never give up on a friendship and decide I'm going to do the right thing no matter how it turns out, no matter what anyone else thinks, this is me unapologetically myself at every moment. And so one of the big inspirations behind Shane's character is another love of mine is shonen anime. I grew up on every single one you could think of. And a lot of them have at their heart these, like, fierce friendships between often rivals, people who butt heads and who often don't get along at first. But by the end, they would die for each other. And somehow they build these extremely strong bonds and these amazingly powerful friendships with unlikely characters. And I really wanted Shane to have that chance to be bold be brave and be dialed up to 11 no i think she definitely is and that's the best part about her is she will get into that bar fight if she needs to she's not afraid of it yeah and and that's what you need if you're going to have a team on a fantasy quest you need someone who's willing to do that but at the same time she does actually have like a really high level of emotional intelligence too and there are moments where she's really there 
for the people that she cares about in a way that I think break her out of that mold of the character just ready to get in a fight and say what she thinks. She does have these really compassionate moments too, and I think that's such a cool combination in a character like that. And also because she has maybe thought a little bit more about the price of not going after what you want or being willing to go after what you want than Fee has, and so she's kind of in a slightly different place than her partner, which I think helps too as their dynamic is developing. Yeah. I mean, definitely in her own way, Shane has been burned by the past, too. I think one of the things that makes them great foils for each other is sometimes Shane puts herself too far out there, and sometimes Fee holds back too much, which is, you know, just a great way to get under each other's skin. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Those are some of my favorite moments, too, especially at the beginning of the book, as they're, like, struggling to even figure out how to work together. But as we're talking about Shane being this excellent fighter, and even Fee, who the more scholarly of the two, but also wouldn't count her out in a fight or a battle of any kind. But what I really love about their styles is that instead of maybe the traditional weapons you would expect, like a sword or a bow and arrow, Shane's weapon of choice is a battle axe, and Fee has this rope with a ring on it, which doesn't sound like it would do that much damage, but oh boy, does she know how to use it. I would just love to know how you decided each of their fighting styles and how you picked these weapons for these two. Absolutely. So Shane was always going to be a warrior. And so I was brainstorming weapons for her at the beginning, like what fit. And I did think about the sword because it is so traditional. But I think maybe because I read so many knights and things, there's something very upright about swordsmanship to me. It feels very precise, like the rules of dueling. And I knew Shane was going to be like a brawler. I was like, no, this is a character who gets dirty, definitely throws a punch in and a kick too. And so in the end, I kind of went Norse with this. I was like the most rugged warriors I could think of that had that feel to me of somebody who was going to go out there and brawl was the battle axe. And then for Fee, on like the completely opposite side there, she really was more of the archaeologist historian type. And so I was thinking rather than having a weapon, I think Fee thinks of everything as a tool first. How do I use this? And so Indiana Jones had the whip which did not actually, again, seem to fit very well for me. But I was like, if you had a rope, you could just use that in so many different ways. And you would need a ring or some kind of weight on the end in order to be able to actually utilize it and throw it and be able to, you know, conk somebody with it. And so I actually had so much fun then thinking of this character who likes to use brains, who likes to use cleverness, and, like, what all could you do with a rope? Because it would be probably the most versatile weapon I have ever tried to write is that rope. Yeah, for sure. And there's a great moment, too, at the beginning of the book. They're not allowed to take their weapons somewhere, and Fee's able to hang on to her rope. And I was like, that's genius, too, because no one even thinks of it as a weapon. Man, does that rope come in handy. I was like, this is such a good choice for her. I'm going to start carrying a rope with me now that I know how useful it is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. How many moments in fantasy adventures is like, could have solved this with a rope? (laughs) The swords aren't doing anything, but we could have solved this with a rope. And so this story, of course, would not be complete without our Sleeping Beauty. And Briar Rose, he feels like such a good choice for that role because on the broader level, I love that this story is about a team of women who are going to save this dude in distress. But I also really appreciate that at the same time, Fee is able to interact with him. She's haunted-ish by this ghostly projection of him. So we do get to know him, and he does get to know Fee and Shane, and he does have some level of agency throughout the story, which I think can be sometimes the biggest knock on Sleeping Beauty. Of No matter what, you're going to have a character who's asleep and therefore can't really consent to anything that's happening, doesn't really have a whole lot of agency, and also, like, are you really going to fall in love with someone just by looking at them napping? Because that's concerning. 
So I love that you found a way to work around all those problems, but it also just seems like such a tightrope to walk. I was wondering how you came up with that exact combination that gave us the best of both those worlds. Definitely. One of the first questions I did ask myself was, how do you fall in love with someone who's asleep in a way that's not creepy? Because some of those old versions, at least they've met in the forest or whatever, but like the oldest versions of Sleeping Beauty, these people have never met. And that's definitely not the way I wanted to go with this story. I knew I wanted Briar Rose to be a presence. And I knew I wanted him to be able to interact with Fee especially because I also think you can't really fall in love with someone unless you can really get to know them. And not just in the big exciting moments, but also in like soft moments too. So I wanted him to be able to be around. And so between these two things, I really loved the idea of apparitions and spirits and all the fun you can have with that, too, because you do have someone who's, like, insubstantial a good amount of the time. And it felt like it would give Briar such a different dynamic with Fee and give him such a great possibility for humor and such a great possibility to be with them while also being able to disappear when I needed him to. Yeah, because he doesn't overload the story with his presence, but in the moments where he's either needed or a fun addition, he's there, which is great. And I love some of the humor you have about him, like being able to sometimes physically maybe be there, and then other times he's just a ghost. There were some really fun moments with that, too, that I thought were a really nice addition. Because also it would be really hard to be like, why are they risking their lives to go help some guy who's asleep? Right. So much better if you have an actual attachment and you can see interactions and get to know a character and get to know, you know, their troubles and want to save them and not just have it be like, I got to get this done because it's on my checklist and instead be like, wow, I really want to save this person because they deserve it and I want to. Something I loved about your story is all three of them really have backstories and things in their past that were fun and interesting to dive into and to learn more about. And he was definitely on that list as well. I thought his story was fun and it was cool getting to see before he was, before he was asleep forever, what was going on. I definitely don't want to talk about this book and not mention the LGBTQ representation. As you mentioned, Shane is a queer character. She's interested in women. But what I really, really love about this book is that you've created this fantasy world that doesn't seem to have any biases towards any sexual orientation If a woman is attracted to women, then her arranged marriage is with the woman. Like, it's really that simple. You have this wonderful scene, this one line, where one character is kind of half-heartedly making an argument that you sometimes see in other fantasy books about why a couple would need to be a man and a woman. And the character you would expect to maybe agree with her is like, you're causing problems where there are none. Get out of here. Don't bring me that nonsense. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) this is awesome. I thought it was so well done. I mean, it's just really that simple for these characters. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your experience both creating this world and then getting to write within this world where there's so much celebrated representation. Yay. I had a lot of fun with this, actually. And it didn't come about immediately. You're juggling so much when you're creating a fantasy world. You're like, there's going to be multiple kingdoms. There's probably going to be monarchies, maybe knights, maybe not knights. You're at this world-building stage where it could be anything still. And one of the big moments for me was the characters who have magic in this book are all called witches. And that's whether they're men, women, no matter what, if you have magic, you're a witch. And when I was first thinking, I was like, should I have witches and warlocks? A lot of people do that, witches and wizards. And then I was like, witch is what I want. And could anybody be a witch? You know, why not? And it sort of became the book of why not for me. This was such a freeing thought. Could there just be two kings or two queens? You know, why not? 
And that actually became one of the foundational pieces for the world building. And as I started creating around this, okay, if there were two kings or two queens, how would you go about figuring out lines of succession? They would come up with rigid rules, like the monarchy always does for things like this. An arranged marriage would suck just as much if you were a queer character as it was if you weren't. Being able to create in this queer normalized world was super freeing for me. Yeah, I love what you said there, too, that arranged marriage is going to be rough no matter what your sexual orientation might be. It's just like you're having to marry someone you did not pick yourself. That's just an unfortunate situation. It was just so refreshing. It's funny how your brain does the switch where for a couple of minutes they kept referring to how someone was going to be a king even though they were a female. And I was like, okay, they're just going to be cool. Moving on. And yeah, the fact Briar Rose is a witch and he's a guy. Because I think sometimes with fantasy world, there don't have to be rules to it. You get to make up the rules, so make them the way you want them to be. It was just so refreshing to see that to its fullest extent, I thought. That's what I love so much about fantasy. I feel like, especially nowadays, you can see queer characters in every genre, in every role of every type, and I just love it so much. And I will say, along with the love stories of this book, and there are a couple of them, I think my absolute favorite relationship for this book is this partnership between Chan and Fee that we've been talking about. There's this one line that you wrote that's really been stuck in my head since I read it, and it's maybe falling in love with something that happened when you were having too much fun to notice. It's just such a beautiful line, and in the book it's referring to romantic love. But I also think it can be really true of friendship love, too, where you suddenly realize that someone's become your best friend, and it's just because you've been having way too much fun to overthink it. I really enjoyed reading this story about these two women because I felt like that's what was happening, where they were working together and they had each other's backs and they were kind of building this incredible friendship without even noticing or meaning to until suddenly there were these moments where they like needed to support each other and then it was instantaneous. I love that because it was just this grounding element in big fantasy quest story. So I was just curious, did you always know this story was going to revolve around this female friendship at its heart? Because obviously that's not something from Sleeping Beauty specifically. Or did that come out of developing these characters and figuring out who Shane and Fee were going to be? Fee and Shane were always the heart and soul of this book. Actually, it's kind of funny. The only scenes that are the same in the final draft of this are a few of the scenes of Fee and Shane, especially getting to know each other. And it was actually the love stories and the love interests I struggled with more. Every successive draft has been adding more romance. And it was because when I gave it to first initial readers, they were really loving Fee and Shane. And then the romances were so pale by comparison to this great relationship that they were like, ah, I don't see why they'd fall in love with anyone else because those are barely characters at all and so really that friendship was probably just what I loved writing the most friendships were some of the most important relationships to me especially as a teen even now and so a chance to put a fierce female friendship at the heart of a book was always something I wanted to do I feel like that can be so true in so many books though sometimes where I'm like the story is a romance thing and I'm definitely supposed to be reading for this couple but really I just want more of the best friend because they seem so much more fun <laughs> I do. I have to say, I've always been a fan of all those partners, whether we're talking if you're an old Stargate fan, Jack and Daniel, or like Rizzoli and Isles, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, any of those partnerships somehow hit the sweet spot for me of they're funny, they're so powerful, and somehow, even though they usually involve characters that are so different, like could not be more opposite, they're perfect for each other. Yeah, and I also love that you wrote a story with wonderful queer representation where it was like their relationship was really just at its core friendship and it was very clear the whole time and both were able to have fulfilling romantic adventures on the side as well. I thought you just balanced that all so nicely in the story. And so wrap things up, the final question, I'd love to know, are we going to get a book two? I mean, 
I liked the ending, but really, really hope this isn't the last time we hear from these guys. Totally. I'm so excited to say The Bone Spindle is going to be a trilogy. And so, yes, book two should be coming early in 2023. And so I've been so excited. I've been editing book two, so I have, like, so much energy for that one. I get to do more of everything. There is more of, you know, you won't spoil too much, but the FF relationship that didn't get as much time book one gets to have a total enemies-to-lovers romance. There's more for Fee and Briar and also way more for Fee and Shane because their partnership is still the heart and soul of the book. That has been super fun to be working on. So glad to hear it. And yeah, I think a trilogy will be perfect for this story. It had that ending where I was like, better not end here. (laughs) I'd be really bummed if it does. This was perfect. Thank you so much. Can you let our listeners know where they can learn more about you and your books? Absolutely. My website is lesliebetter.com. You can also find me on Twitter at lesliebetter and Instagram at lesli.vetter. And I will say I'm mostly on Instagram. And so, like, that's where to find me for book recs. And I take so many pictures of my cats and put them on there, too. So, Sounds perfect. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Leslie. This was so much fun getting to learn more about your book. And I'm so excited to hear that there are going to be two more. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Oh, no, of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Plucky Bookmark. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.